0: Turn, if you would, to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Just to give you a heads up, I will not be here for the next two weeks. Don will be filling in for me. I told him he could correct all my errors. (laughs) If things go according to plan next Sunday, I'll be standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, but we'll see. We're actually gonna drive to California. I've flown over the Grand Canyon a lot, but I've actually never seen it. So we'll pick up two of our children in Las Vegas. We'll pick up two of our children in California, and we'll just have a time of it. And the Sunday after that, I'll be driving back from California. So anyway, we started chapter nine, and this says this was last week's lesson, but this is actually the last two weeks lessons kind of summarized God's plan did not fail just because the Jews rejected him remember chapters one to eight we have the doctrinal part of the book of Romans 12 to the end we're going to have the practical application and in between he asked but what about the Jews did God's plan mess up Because God has turned to justification by faith alone. So, for chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's going to deal with what about the Jews? God has not written them off, God still has a plan. But they're going to have to accept Jesus as the Messiah. So, we spent several lessons talking about predestination. God is sovereign even over salvation. God is merciful, but even in his mercy he is sovereign. And God is just. No one receives injustice from the hands of God. So last week we read to the end of chapter 9, but we didn't really get to the end of chapter 9. So we're going to pick up in chapter 9 at verse 30. What shall we say then? He has used this phrase over and over again. He has presented some case, and then he says, but what about it? What shall we say? That Gentiles who did not receive righteousness have obtained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What shall I say? Have the Jews messed up permanently? Well, the Jews thought they were pursuing righteousness, and they didn't get it. The Gentiles didn't think they were pursuing righteousness, and they ended up getting it. What goes? What gives? I mean, what, what happened here? First off, we need to remind ourselves that we're talking in broad generalities here. He is talking about the Jewish nation, if you will. There are Jews that are believers at this point in time. We know it because one of them is writing this letter, okay, We know that there were Jews that were converted, but the general Jewish population had rejected Christianity. If you look at the history of it, uh, Jesus died, was resurrected from the dead, the day of Pentecost, they started spreading the gospel, and Gentiles were coming to faith, and Jews were coming to faith. But for the most part, they viewed themselves as good Christians and as good Jews. So they would go to the Sabbath day, I mean, they'd go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and on Sunday they would have their Christian worship, and life was good. They were good Jews, they were good Christians. They were fulfilled Jews. But at some point, the Jewish hierarchy said, No, you can't do this. Christianity is a sect that has broken away from Judaism, you have to choose. One. And the animosity grew, and there reached a point where the Jewish community would reject you if you had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So, the question for chapters 9, 10, and 11, does this mean that God is through with the Jews? And the answer is no. But, it is an acknowledgement that there was an issue. The Gentiles... Received a righteousness. Hmm. The Jews thought they were pursuing a righteousness and didn't get it. Why? He gives us the answer because they did not pursue it by faith. Remember, in chapters 1 to 8, repeatedly, Paul has mentioned the advantages that the Jews had. They had received the promises. They had received the covenant. They had received the law. They had received all of this stuff. Yet, ultimately, it did them no good because they did not receive it by faith. Okay? Moses goes up on the mountain. We'll talk about Moses in just a moment. Moses goes up on the mountain He gets the tablets of stone that have the law. He gets instructions on how to build a tabernacle. He gets instructions on how to govern the people. He comes back down, and the people look at that stone tablet, and we'll skip over the first set and go straight to the second set, right? Because there was a problem in there. So he comes down, and the people said, yes, we're going to do this. And they set about doing it. What's the problem? They didn't do it by faith. So what is the difference? I've got a law of commandments. I can follow that law and it do me no good, or I can follow that law by faith and it will produce what God wanted it to produce. What's the difference? What, does, what is the difference in what they look like in everyday life? Okay. You give your child, I still have young children, you give your grandchild, you give them a task to do, and they say, sure, I'll do that, and off they go to do it, and you go, Phew. or they say, okay, I'll do it if you make me, but I'm not going to like it. Question. At the end of the day, they may both do the task. But one is doing it out of cheerful obedience, and one is doing it by the letter of the law. So, I've got a list of Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God, don't take his name in vain. Honor the Sabbath day, honor your mother and father, etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to try to name all ten. I probably could, but it might take a while. I've got this list of laws, and it starts with honoring God above all else, honoring your parents above all else, honoring the Sabbath day as separate from the other days. Now, I can say, okay, what is the minimum I have to do in order to honor my parents? And we laugh at this, but this is actually what they did. They sat down and figured out what's the minimum I can do in order to say that I fulfilled the law. And that's what they did. Or they took the opposite tact, which was, how can I impress other people by my following of the law by doing things that they obviously couldn't do? And that's what produced the Pharisees. We forget the fact that the Pharisees were actually trying to follow the law. They were actually trying to do what God wanted them to do, but it didn't work because they were doing it apart from faith. So what does it mean to keep the law by faith? You see, we as good Gentiles, we're the Gentile half of this equation that I'll get to in a moment. We as good Gentiles go, I didn't have to keep that law. I got in for free. The Jews had the law, but even with the law, they were supposed to have faith. We've talked about this before. They're instructed, you sin. You present a sacrifice. That sacrifice takes away the penalty of that sin. It is an atoning sacrifice. And by the time you get to the prophets, the prophets are saying, why do you waste your time spilling the blood of animals? It does you no good. And you go, wait a minute, didn't God tell me to do that? Yes, God told you to do it by faith. Hmm. What's the difference? When I approach God and God gives me this list of things to do, I in faith acknowledge that salvation comes from God. Salvation is not based on my works. Faith says God has instructed me to do certain things and I will do them, but my trust is in God, not in my ability to keep the list. They ought to have kept the list. Even Jesus said, the Pharisees are the teachers of the law and the law is good. But, you have to do it by faith. Is my, is my desire for salvation an acknowledgement of who God is and what he's done for me? Or, Is it my attempt to show that I did it? I, I, I. That's why he starts chapter 9 with this long discussion that we hated about predestination. At the end of the day, it's all God. The Jews thought it was all them. Question. Do we ever get to the point Where we think it's all us. And the answer is yes, frequently. The problem was not that they had the law. The problem was not that some of them tried to keep it. They ought to have kept it. The problem was they didn't keep it by faith. Now, back to the the verse, chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. Once again, we're talking in broad generalities here. He is talking to a Jewish audience at this point. What he's going to say is God is using the Gentiles to, if you will, get jealous that, the, that the, God is using the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous because God is working apart from the Jewish community. Why? Because they thought they had it all locked up and they didn't. So, The Gentiles who were not pursuing righteousness. Let's stop right there. Back to Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. The law is written on the heart of all humanity. This is back earlier in the book. We as fallen creatures, though... Suppress that truth, chapter 1. We know the truth and we suppress the truth because we want to worship something else. So the Gentiles knew about God, but they were suppressing that truth. The Jews, they had the prophets. They had the written Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. The Gentiles didn't have that. The Gentiles had none of those blessings that we had been talking about in all the rest of the book of Romans. Yet they got salvation. Why? Because they didn't have a stumbling block in front of them. Huh. The Gentiles who were not pursuing salvation got it The Jews who were pursuing salvation didn't get it because they were running a race and in the middle of that track, they stumbled over something. I mean, it's like you put the Jew and the Gentile in the race, they're running down the track and all of a sudden that Jew goes, and he falls flat. Why? Because he stumbled because somebody had put this huge rock in the middle of the track question what was that rock that rock was is Jesus Christ but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law why because they did not pursue it by faith but as, as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. First Peter 2, 4 says, And you come to him... This is Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. The Jewish community was waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the Christ. But Jesus was nothing like the Messiah they were expecting. What were they expecting out of a Messiah? A revived David, a warrior king who is going to rise up and drive the Romans out of the promised land, restore the Davidic kingdom, make Israel the top dog in the world, and by golly, we will show the Gentile world what power really is. And Jesus was the Messiah who came and died. And the Jews stumbled over him. So I am a Gentile. And I received the gospel message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I say, yes, I'm in. I was not pursuing a righteousness. I didn't have the law. I didn't have the covenants. But when the gospel was shared to me, I said, yes. I am a Jewish individual. The gospel is preached to me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I think, wait a minute, where's the Davidic kingdom? Where's the power? Where's the sword? And they stumbled over it. And they rejected the salvation that was offered to them. Why? They had pursued the law, but they had pursued it not by Faith. Hmm. You can pursue the law as a work or you can pursue the law by faith. Here it comes. We as believers are told to do certain things. Just wait. We're going to get to chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There's going to be a lot of things that we're supposed to do. Every one of those things that we're supposed to do, we can do it by faith or we can do it as a work. We can do it with the expectation that somehow we're better than our neighbor because I did four things on the list and they only did two. I am twice as good. God loves me twice as much. Aren't I cool? Or... We can do it by faith. What's the difference? In some people's minds, the difference is one person is taking it serious and the other one's not. No, that's not it at all. We take it seriously, but we acknowledge the fact that my salvation is not dependent on it. It is the result of my salvation, not the cause of my salvation. Why is that important? Because we know for a fact that all it takes to violate the word of God is to break the law in one thing. Okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One moment of one day you don't do that, you have violated the law, you're toast. If you're doing it as a work. If you're doing it with the expectation that you have to do it in order to be saved, you're toast. But by faith, you say, salvation is from God. And I will keep his commandments, but I am not relying on my strength to earn or merit my salvation. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This is exactly how he started out chapter 9. If it were possible, I would give up my own life to save my brother's the Jews. Don't think that Paul has written off the Jewish community. He wants them to be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Hmm. What does zeal mean? Come on, this is easy. Enthusiasm? What? Fervency whew, I'm excited, you know? I just learned something and I want to share it with you. I have a zeal for sharing what I've learned. And his comment is, the Jews have lots of zeal, but they're lacking knowledge. Well, that's weird. I mean, look at the Jewish community and the knowledge they had of God versus the Gentile community and the knowledge they had of God. The Jews had a lot more knowledge. But they were missing something. It is interesting. We could have a whole lesson about zeal and knowledge. Okay? If you have to have one, which is best? It's a trick question. You don't have to have one. You need both. You know, it's back to the, when we deal with people, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Okay? There's lots of people who have lots of love, but very little truth. And there are people who have a certain amount of truth, and no love. And there's verses that talk about those kind of people, right? The truth of the matter is we are supposed to have zeal and we're supposed to have the knowledge that drives that zeal in the right direction. I think at different times in history, one or the other of these two has kind of taken precedent. There are periods where there was a lot of knowledge, but not much passion. There are times when there was a lot of passion, but not much knowledge. We could have an interesting debate, and we're not going to have it, we could have an interesting debate about where we are as a society today. I will tell you my opinion, we have lots of passion and not much knowledge. You start asking people, about things of the Bible, things of the Word of God, and they they know this much, but they're real excited about it. You know? I'm real excited about the things of God, the two things I know, that one of which is true by the way, the other one I'm not you know, you know how that works, right? The Jewish community had knowledge about God because they had what we call the whole Old Testament. But they were lacking the knowledge that was necessary for salvation. And that knowledge revolved around the person of Jesus Christ. He was the stumbling stone. They knew a lot of stuff. But they didn't know the Messiah when he showed up in their midst. And that was... The knowledge that they lacked. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant. That's a pretty strong word. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Wait a minute. They had the law. Didn't they know what it took to be right with God? It's actually interesting, depending on the commentary you read about this righteousness of God, it is. it can be a discussion of the character of God, God's righteousness, or it can be a discussion about what God requires of us to be right with God. God's righteous requirement on us. I have a tendency to go that direction with the verse, but it actually works either direction. Why? Because the righteousness that is inherent with God is the righteousness that is required of us to enter the presence of a holy God. And that's what we've been dealing with in chapters 1 to 8 of the book of Romans. How can we... Enter the presence of a holy God. you have a question? Is, is that righteousness Christ and that's oh, yes. She's jumping ahead. Isn't God's righteousness, the righteous requirement of us, isn't that Christ? And the answer is yes. Question. How do we... Enter the presence of a holy God if yesterday I sinned 42 times. And no, I didn't count. I just kind of made up a number. <laughs> Y'all do know the significance of the number 42, right? Hmm. It's a long story. <laughs> so if the Christians were in the righteousness of Christ, then God doesn't. See, uh, exactly. Exactly. We receive a righteousness that is not our righteousness, but is Christ's righteousness given to us. Remember that whole discussion. We were in Adam. And because we were in Adam, we received certain things. Not good. But now we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, God received. The righteous judge sees the righteous Christ and we are right with God. The correct theological term is imputed righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness given to us. And that's what the Jews rejected for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Once again, how could they be ignorant? They had all the law. Well, they were ignorant because they didn't know how to fulfill it. They were ignorant because they rejected the Messiah who provided a way for us as sinful human beings to fulfill the law in Christ. Therefore, they were ignorant. What do people do when they're given a standard of behavior that they cannot keep? They change the standard of behavior. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, I don't know what it takes to be right with God. Obviously, I'm blowing it. I'm going to come up with my own list. And you could probably make the argument that every human-created religion, every human-created denomination that attempts to earn salvation by some mechanism is fulfilling this verse. They are creating their own standard of righteousness. If I can stand on my left foot for 15 minutes, I will be saved. And I stand here for 15 minutes, I didn't make it. Tomorrow I will. We create lists because we're ignorant about how to be made right with God. Why are we ignorant? Because we reject Jesus who is the only way to obtain righteousness that will allow us to enter the presence of a holy God. We can know lots of stuff. We can have lots of passion and zeal. I can have pep rallies. I can just jump up and down with excitement. I can beat you over the head with a two by four. But it is zeal without knowledge of the righteousness that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Jewish community had rejected. They knew lots of stuff. They had lots of zeal. But they didn't know the truth because they rejected the Messiah. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't submit, submit to put yourself under. Here is God's righteous requirement. Do I acknowledge and put myself under that righteous requirement? It's a scary thing. Because apart from Christ, apart from the Messiah, apart from him paying the penalty for our sin, if I put myself under this burden that I cannot keep, All it's going to do is crush me. They did not submit to the righteous requirement of God. Therefore, they made up their own that they could keep or at least come close enough to make it look like they were in the right ballpark. And that's what we as humanity have done. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end. What does the word end mean? Well, it has two pretty standard definitions. I'm driving down a road. There's a barrier at the end. I've hit the end of the road, where the road stops. But the other meaning of it is purpose. We talk about what is the end of education. What is the purpose of it? Why is it even here? And we talk about being the end goal. It's not like it's the end and I've obtained it, I'm done. It's what is the purpose for what I'm doing? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the goal. I have put myself under God's righteousness. I have submitted myself to it. But I have no hope, so it just crushes me. That's not a very good end. Or I submit myself to God's righteousness and I acknowledge the fact that Christ provides me the way to fulfill that righteous requirement. So I both submit and accept that Christ is the solution. Huh. What did the Jews do wrong? The Jews did wrong what we all have done, which was say no. We've looked at God and said no. I know a lot of things, God. I know a lot of things about you. Rah, rah, I'm on your team because you're on my team. Rah, rah, we're going to do great things. But ultimately, we refuse to submit because we refuse to accept the answer that allows us to survive when we submit ourselves to the righteous requirements of God. And that's what they did or didn't do. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes, He is the goal, the purpose, He is the fulfillment. What does Christ say? Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Why would you think that he had come to abolish the law? Well, once again, go back to Jesus' time. He's roaming around. You've got this group of Pharisees who are creating ever stricter lists that only they can keep and they're using it as a club to beat people over the head with. I'm righteous. You're not. Whack, whack, whack. And you're an average person who has to go to work every day and raise a family and you do all these things and you feel burdened because the Pharisees are sitting there whack, whack, whack you with the law. Wouldn't you love for somebody to come along and say, forget all that stuff. Forget it all. It's all a pain in the butt anyway. But that's not what he did. Don't think. I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. What does it mean to fulfill? To reach the end the goal, and the purpose. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. I have come to fulfill it on your behalf. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Huh. I'm going to be saved by following the law. We talked about this weeks, weeks ago. I can do that, right? All I've got to do is from the day I'm born to the day I die, follow every element of the law perfectly. It says, love the Lord your God. I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my soul, mind, and strength from the day I'm born to the day I die. And if I do that, I have fulfilled the requirements of the law I'm in. And Moses tells them, you've got to follow it all. Hmm. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's a strange passage. Maybe we should just skip over that. I said a a couple of weeks ago when we started chapters 9, 10, and 11 that given the fact he's addressing the uh, Jewish community, he puts lots of uh, references to the Old Testament in here, lots from Isaiah, Daniel, and other places. So here he goes, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, Why, why would you do that? Well, you'd ascend into heaven to bring Christ down. And let's remind ourselves, the word Christ is Jesus' title. Jesus is his name, Joshua in the Old Testament, and Christ, Messiah, is his title. So we talk about Jesus Christ, they, the Jews, are looking for a Christ, a Messiah, They rejected Jesus, so what am I going to do? I've got to go into heaven and drag the Messiah down because I need to be saved. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven to bring the Messiah down? Why do we not need to say that in our heart? This is a real easy question. Because he's already come. And you rejected him. You don't have to ascend to heaven. In your own efforts. In order to bring the Messiah down. To save you. He's already come. And you rejected him. Well maybe he's not way up there. Who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Maybe the Messiah's dead. And we've got to go dig in the ground. And pull him out of Hades, hell itself. No. Why? Because Jesus Christ descended from heaven, was killed and buried, but then rose from the dead. We don't have to ascend to heaven to find the Messiah because the Messiah has come to us. We don't have to look in Hades to find the Messiah because the Messiah has been resurrected from the dead. That is Jesus Christ. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, here it comes, because if we confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You need to memorize that section. The word of God is near. We know what the word is. It has been given to us. What is it? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you Will be saved. We've commented before in this class, our church has a doctrinal statement, and that's a good thing. It's good for us to say these are the things that we believe. Okay? We also have requirements for membership. It's interesting, in order to be a member of this church, you don't have to believe everything in that doctrinal statement. You don't have to understand dispensations. You don't have to understand the order of the second coming. We'll work on that, but you don't have to know that stuff. You're welcome to join our church. What do you have to know? That you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was resurrected to bring you new life. Guess what? That's what makes you a believer. That's what makes you right with God. The acknowledgement that you don't do it on your own. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? It means that he's God. Okay? Okay? He's not just a good teacher. There have been lots of good teachers. There have been lots of people who have set an example of how we as human beings should live our lives. I've told you before, I had a professor one time and she loved Jesus and Socrates. Okay? They both died for what they believed. They both taught good things. And that's the standard, right? And by the way, they're both, Dead. In order to be saved, you have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. Now, why is that important? Because if all you're doing is imitating a good teacher, that may be a good thing. It may make your life a little bit better, make you a little bit happier, make you a nicer person. But it will not make you right with God. That is the stumbling stone that the Jewish community and all of humanity has rejected. You know, if Jesus had just come along, if Jesus' followers had just said, you know, Jesus was a good rabbi just like all the other rabbis, the Jewish community probably would have worked him into the system somehow. Okay? Somehow, way. But they didn't, he didn't, they didn't, because he was a stumbling stone. He is God, or he is nothing. You know, C.S. Lewis goes through that long discussion of he is a lunatic, or a liar, or he is Lord. Because if you say you're God, and you're not, you're crazy. Or you could speak lying, or you might be God. Hmm. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice that it says believe in your heart, not believe in your mind. Remember, the Jews had lots of knowledge, but they missed the knowledge that they needed. Biblically, the heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It is the center of who you are. That is what has to acknowledge that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, it's interesting because aren't there a lot of other things that you have to believe? Probably. But if you believe that Jesus is God, and if you believe Jesus was raised from the dead by God the Father, you're there. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. So what is it? that the Jews stumbled over. They could not accept the fact that Christ was the Messiah who had to die. Raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It is the acknowledgement of who Christ is and what he has done for us. For the scripture says. Everyone who believes in him. Will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction. To the Jewish community. There is a huge distinction. There is us and there is them. And them is bad. They are Gentiles. They are barbarians. <laughs> for there is no distinction. Between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We had this discussion several weeks ago and I hate to keep touching it but it did start the discussion, right? We discussed the doctrine of predestination and we think, doesn't this violate the doctrine of predestination? Well, actually it doesn't. It says quite clearly... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone who calls will be saved. That is the promise. Who's going to call? Those whom God calls first. But what is the promise of this? What is the promise of this verse? Do I need to sit there in my chair thinking, am I part of the elect? Am I, am I, am I, am I, am I? I don't know call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise is you will be saved. One of the more stupid things you could do with an unbeliever is have a long discussion about predestination (laughs) and start to work through the equations to determine whether they're in or not. (laughs) Well, that may be true too. We are to call the world Jew, Gentile, Greek, barbarian, American, European, Asian, African, whatever other continents I missed. We are to call everyone to the gospel. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, You will be saved. And the promise is that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. What happened to the Jews? They stumbled on the stumbling block that is and was Jesus Christ. Now, this is not an argument against Jews. This is an argument against all of humanity who has worked their hardest to come up with some standard of righteousness that they can keep so they can earn their way to God because they hate the idea that all it takes is to call upon the name of God, of Christ, and they will be saved. Why is it? Because we're stubborn, hard-headed human beings. I've told you this story before, and I like it so much, so I use it often. When my kids were little, we'd wrestle, you know. And I had this rule. All you had to do was kiss me, and I would let you go. (laughs) And there were some children who would very quickly kiss you so you'd let them go. And then they'd come back in for the attack. But there were other children who weren't going to kiss me no matter what. They were going to struggle until they were free on their own. But you know what? They're five years old, and I outweigh them by a bunch. <laughs> There's no way. But our human stubbornness says, I'm going to earn my salvation somewhere or another if it kills me. And it probably will. What is the message? Believe, confess, Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Great promise. Great promise. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Christ to provide righteousness for all of us. Forgive us our hardness of heart and our stubbornness. I pray, Lord, that we would draw close to you because you have drawn close to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.